I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. Do you want anything from the shop? Cornetto. Chocolate! It doesn't say anything about a chocolate, does it? No. No, it doesn't. Sure it doesn't. So fuck off! My boy says he can eat- Hello and welcome to the 68th Spool Podcast. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've been with you, so I've got a, a whopping nine films, maybe eight, eight or nine films that I think we've got to discuss. So um, you appear to have brought the novelty egg timer, so we're going to try to do that two or three minutes on as many films, because there's a lot of pretty good films in the cinema right now. Yeah, um, it'll be like speed chess. It's kind of speed chess, but with uh, with films. So the first one is one that we, we got to see together. Uh, last week this was a film that means a lot to you uh, yeah kind of to me i was thinking back who first introduced it to me um and the disaster was, artist yeah. based on the movie the room the room so uh i think it was ruth uh from work ruth ivory and she was like have you seen the room and i was like no so then i went and uh purchased a copy of it and watched it and so the thing is that the room is the worst film ever made it's directed, the best worst movie ever. yeah, yeah it's kind of got this cult status it's like what's the other one goblin 2 or something um so it's directed by tommy wiseau who stars in the film and it's kind of funny where he's like stars wrote produced direct you know did the music um so this uh that film came out in 2003 and this is now 2017 obviously just about and James Franco, with his brother Dave. Dave Franco, has directed The Disaster Artist, which is based on the kind of, I don't know if it's an autobiography, just the story Behind of the, scenes, yeah, uh, of the story of the production. Yeah, yeah, written by Greg, who plays, Dave Franco plays him, um, so that character. So we have a week clip here to show Tommy and Greg getting together. They share an acting class, and this is how they first meet, well, so the film tells us. Yeah. Tommy, hey. Hey. What's this? Uh, this is Amber, who I was telling you about. Oh, girlfriend. Um, I, I don't know. Um, okay. <laughs> well, I don't have time for this. I'm very busy right now. I have to change really quickly and go. Okay. Is, is everything all right? Yeah, everything great on my end. You heard of Konstantin Stanislavski? Of course. Yeah, he's like the greatest acting teacher of all time. Yeah. And now he taught me acting teacher. He seemed something special in me, you know, maybe, you know, I'll become a big star. So I have first class this evening. Well, pretty sure Stanislavski's dead. No, he's not dead. I just speak to him for your information. What do you think I speak to, girls? No. no. Okay, I'll let you know how it is, baby face. Maybe you can join me someday. Maybe I will. Yeah, so there we have James and Dave Franco. It's not the funniest scene. From, no, from, yeah. Because a lot of it is a bit more camp and a bit more, it's a bit of yeah. homoerotic kind of energy between the pair of them. Which I kind of found for the film whereby for the first, I don't know, maybe it's a half an hour, you're kind of like, oh, this is almost like a serious film. It's setting up the backstory. Tommy's a bit mysterious and you're like, how has he got all this money and what's wrong with his face and what age is he? Which they keep referring to in the film. And... um. Then when they get into gear of, like, none of them are being successful as actors. The two of them go from uh, San Francisco to L.A. to be like, we're going to make a movie and, you know, make it big and stuff. So then they start working on the room and Tommy funds the whole thing. He gets the actors. With his mysterious money. Yeah, which apparently came from the retail market, like the property market. Like, he rents... um, he rents uh they just go to one of his apartments in LA and it's like because he just owns them so I think that is how he made most of his money and um 
yeah so until the room kicked in the film that's when i was like oh yeah this is actually really funny and it that's you would kind of need to have seen what the do room. you mean by then oh then it gets really yeah yeah funny. yeah and you would almost need to have seen the or room be aware of it yeah yeah, to get most of the jokes or the benefit because you're like, oh, this scene is hilarious. Like, um, Zac Efron has a cameo in it as one of the characters in the film and like stuff like that. We know I kind of they were the funniest for me. Yeah. And the main thing uh, to remember is to stay just to the very end because the credits, they do a lot of picture in picture kind of side by side bits where the Tommy Wiseau um, and uh, James Franco parts are done side by side and they sync them up and the flower shop in particular uh, is done impeccably like even obviously Franco just kind of like lined up his dialogue it's like he has the track in his head and they're brilliant and they're as a kind of a weird making of cinema like if you're in any way interested in that I think it's fascinating the way they've kind of done um, so anyway it's still in cinemas The Disaster Artist alright ding 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 next up uh, Battle of the Sexes this is uh, from the um, it's had about two weeks at this stage now it's the second big tennis film of the year after Borg v Martin Rowe which was um, out earlier in summer which I don't think you got to see no I missed it yeah. um, one, for te- one for TV doesn't really need the cinema I actually think this one worked well um, in terms of how it's shot it's very like there's a lovely and same with with the disaster artists they're really kind of mastering this like sort of film look and feel of certain looks years. like the nineties like, or the early yeah. something. yeah and this kind of had the warm fully glow of yeah the so in 19, set in 1972 and 1973 Billie Jean King played by Emma Stone is the top uh, women's tennis player in the world and she is not being paid the same amount as the men she who are competing in the same tournament. So the US uh, Lawn Tennis Association are making a bit of a fuss about that. And so she says, this is inappropriate, I'm going to set up my own thing. And then it kind of, you're like, oh, is this like Glow? Like the Netflix series Glow with wrestling, but with tennis? And kind of the same kind of thing in terms of like, it's all about the, the hair and the fashion and everything like that. But then um, it actually turns into a film about... Uh, Mainly, like the heart of it is her actual fledgling relationship with her hairdresser and her kind of confidant, um, played by Andrea Riceford. I can't remember the character's name, Marilyn, Marilyn Bennett. And um, yeah, I thought that was kind of a sweet thing. Yeah, that is kind of as much as part of the film as the tennis and the kind of. Uh, blossoming feminism of the time and the women's movement where it's just like oh we're not going to put up with this shit we want equal pay for like you sell out centre court men or women why aren't we getting the same money you know yeah which is a very fair point Mm. and there's a good point like um Steve Carell plays um, Bobby Riggs. Bobby Riggs. And he's kind of this like buffoon. And like Bill (laughs) King King is this like, he's just a gobshite. And like the relationship Bobby Riggs has with his wife is quite sweet and sad. And like he is just a bit of a moron. Whereas the character played by um, the kind of head of the American lawn. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He is the real kind of bad guy. And there's like a great scene where the two of them confront each other. And she was like, you actually hate women. Like, you do do not want us here. And I thought that was brilliant, you know? Yeah, because Bobby Riggs is just actually, he's a schemer and like a a guy who's just realized I can make a bit of money and Mm. get in the papers by pretending that I hate women. And his whole thing is that he's the top women's player in the world, even though he's a... 56 year old man or whatever mm. um anyway it's a little bit happy happy i thought and the tennis is uh, very poor <laughs> can we talk about that fact it's that much the tennis slower is really slow yeah. and weird 
Um, and you can see the body doubles quite a bit if you kind of look closely. Yeah. But it's still a very... I'd and they kind of put the final up um, when Billie Jean plays Bobby Riggs. The battle of the sexes. Yeah. yeah. That it is... That the film makes it look like a lot closer than it is. But like she wiped the floor with him. Yeah. Like she really beat him comfortably and easily. Yeah. But that doesn't make for as much as a dramatic yeah. TV. And a special shout out to Fred Arneson of uh, Portlandia and... Um, <laughs> Seth Meyer late night. Yeah, he was playing like a weird vitamins guy. Yeah, a drug. Basically, Bobby Riggs is like pump guy. Yeah. Like all the drugs and everything. Simply, was... they're all just speed. Yeah, which I thought was kind of fun and unexpected. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, anyway, then uh, next up in the. Oh, yeah, and there's a big link because the big tennis match is really much like a WrestleMania, an early WrestleMania. Speaking of early WrestleMania. Nice segue. Uh, Jim and Andy. It has such a long convoluted title. It's something like Jim and Andy and an appearance by Tony Clifton legally or something. Yes. Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, the story of Jim Carrey and Andy Kaufman uh, featuring a very special appearance contractually obliged by, oh man. Tony Hinchcliffe. So it's on uh, Netflix. But it came out uh, about a week or two on Netflix and I saw a trailer for it. So it's basically Jim Carrey's behind the scene footage of Man in the Moon, which he starred as Andy Kaufman. And it's kind of it would have been done at the time. It still is. You know, we we're like, oh, we're doing a behind the scenes featurette. And Jim Carrey makes the point when the studio saw this, they were like, you're not releasing this because it's going to show you how much of an asshole you are. Like he really yeah, goes with this, the crew will sue you. Yeah. He goes really method and just becomes Andy. Won't be referred to as... If you're like, oh, Jim. He's like, oh, I'll say that to Jim and see what he thinks. You know, it's just like, I don't know where Jim is. And the same then when he appears as Tony. It's just like, oh, I can't stand Andy Kaufman. Yeah. And Yeah, so Andy Kaufman was a, a comedian of the time. And then one of his most famous characters was Tony Clifton, who's this kind of really like a, a drunk Tony Bennett, I suppose. Or something. Yeah. I'd, I'd never heard of him before... Seeing um, the film, no, exactly, yeah, so. I, I remember Empire when I used to read Empire. They did a great feature were about um, Andy Kaufman, and it was like, uh, you know, Taxi was a big show, and it's just like ask your parents what Taxi was. So I was just like, Dad, what was Taxi? And he was like, Oh, it was a show on BBC Two. <laughs> used to show it, so that's where he showed. And what made Man in the Moon was brilliant. Um, was it had it went with all the original characters because Danny DeVito was still there, uh, Judd Hirsch. Um, they were still all there and in the film and it's great seeing behind the scenes stuff because they're all like this is fucking nuts he's yeah. just like him and this is so weird and if you've seen yeah, that was great yeah. yeah if you've seen Man in the Moon there is a point where Andy gets quite sick it's some form of cancer I can't remember which type exactly and you can see then Danny DeVito on that it's almost like another chance for them to say goodbye to him yeah um, and that's referred to a lot in the film that it was quite a cathartic thing for the family, for his brothers, for his dad mm. to kind of... And like uh, Jim Carrey carries on the kind of vendetta against Jerry Lawler, who was a wrestler. Yeah, Jerry the King Lawler from Memphis. Yeah. So, and that kind of carries on. So you see, so it's interesting to get into the mind of Jim Carrey, like who... But also the mind of Jim Carrey in 1999 versus the mind of Jim Carrey in 2017. Yeah, but I, I would encourage anyone who sees this to go and watch Norm Macdonald's Comedian and he does uh, like a podcast and it's a video thing and it's much better to watch the video because you can see it. And he inter- recently interviewed Jim Carrey and Jim Carrey goes super wacky. He's like ultimate Jim Carrey when he's talking to him and you're like, Jesus, you are actually manic and a bit of an asshole. So... 
that kind of fed into me watching this where I was just like he is quite deep and there is a lot going on there and he's much more complicated than this you know liar liar figure or yeah and he and I think he kind of revealed that by doing something like this where he actually didn't have to be Jim Carrey for three four months was his favorite thing Mm. because he couldn't handle it and it's also I went back and was thinking I was like god yeah because he would have had a lot out at this kind of at this point in time and like we know what his 1990s sort of list is um the mask Ace Ventura Dumb and Dumber all came out very quickly then you had um smarter stuff like Eternal Sunshine the Truman Show. Truman Show. Um, and then, of course, Man of the Moon. He's done so little of real value since then. Maybe Kick-Ass um, too, and I Love You, Philip Morris were the only two that I was like, genuinely. Yeah, like, it did kind of peak. And um, he's had a lot of trauma, and I think, in his life with the uh, ex-girlfriend committing suicide and stuff like yeah. that. So there is a Just lot playing on his sad. mind. Yeah, yeah. As, a, as a doc, I think, in terms of how they use archive how they like they've he's it's a very open new interview that he does i i'm trying to think there's no other new interview involved is there it's all it's all that one kind of no but from anyone else they don't uh, really talk to no, like Danny DeVito or anything. No, it it all goes back to the stock footage so that they had. All the archive. Yeah, that's an interesting way, isn't it? Yeah. So it's then, weird seeing Michael Stipe you're just like, "Oh yeah, there yeah, you are." Cuz that had me kind of thinking. I was like, um is this all, like, how much of this is constructed? How much of it is real? Is Andy Kaufman going to come back alive? You know, you, you do, because is it all a big play and stuff? So I thought that was great. Mm. Um, anyway, I I obviously watched this one at home. Mm. <laughs> I, was gonna, <laughs> yeah. I was making an apology for not seeing the cinema. Mm. Um, yeah, you obviously watched it at home as well. Yeah, really, like, I, I gave it a five? solid four. Solid four, yeah, yeah. I would say I'd be in the four camp as well. Mm. And watch it in a bit of a binge day with other stuff as well when I was sort of sick, so my judgment could have been impaired. Um, the next one is a strange film that we saw in cinema about two, two and a half weeks ago at this stage with the women, um, Suburbicon. So this is a film that people on paper, you'd be very excited about. Um, it's adapted from a screenplay by, uh, the, the Coen brothers that they wrote seemingly after Blood Simple in the late eighties. So it's been knocking around for so long, but then, um, Grant Heslov, I think, uh, did another pass and rewrote it and then George Clooney <coughs> um, directed it. So it's set in 1959 in this idyllic little neighbourhood called Suburbicon and uh, Matt Damon and Julianne Moore are married with a young son who I can't even remember his name. Is he Junior? We'll just call him Junior. He yeah. feels like his name would be Junior. Um, and then her, so Julianne Moore's character's sister is also there hanging around a bit and then anyway, so the mother figure uh, dies she's murdered when the gang kind of break in and you're like that's shocking um, but then it slowly I don't think it's a spoiler at this point no it's, it's kind of interesting I didn't yeah. know this from uh, seeing, I hadn't seen the Lisa trailer. and I had seen the trailer and we were kind of like oh there's the entire film and then when we saw yeah. the film it was like oh there was no twists or there surprises twist. so anyway it turns out that Matt Damon and the sister-in-law have orchestrated the, the, the murder in order to get be, in order to be with each other and get an insurance payout and everything um, there's a lot of fun on that side of stuff and then Oscar Isaac gets to play this kind of fun um, insurance investigator that film is pretty solid and really fun like a nice TV yeah. episode or something you'd watch there's this other thing that's tacked on um, beside it where their neighbour it's um, a black family who are living in this idyllic 1959 town which is actually all white people um, and they are slowly being kind of pushed out of the town 
But there's so little interaction between the two. Yeah, the two all the boys, white people like freak out. Yeah, and, they, and start harassing the family and like yeah, trying a, to get them out. In an almost legal way, like mm. you know, they're blaring music. They're until then there's a fire thing and they're attacked. But it ends up being a big. It's end up as a plot device more than anything, which belittles the whole. Yeah, it doesn't give it any movement. credibility. It's used as a plot device because it means the police are busy while he's dealing with another bit of yeah. cover up of a murder. I uh, think that's yeah. the only point. And I was like, is that the only reason they did this? But whole... I don't know if Clooney is trying to say it's really obvious to be like, well, nothing's changed in sixty years because like black people are still getting persecuted, like you know, Black yeah. Lives Matter. But I wonder if it's his way of saying like this is going on and no one's paying attention yeah, to it, and I... just like America. And it's I'd not paying be, attention to I'd be more years. willing to give them the benefit of the doubt because I actually kind of enjoyed the film and it's a kind of a three, three and a half or something for me. Um, but it 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 does when you, it doesn't hold up to any like we we when you think about other films this year that have dealt with like yeah. Detroit or Get Out that actually put the civil rights kind of thing mm. at the forefront of your brain. and it doesn't feel like a Clooney <coughs> film. It does feel very much like. A Coen Brothers film, but not as good. So you're well, just only a bit the like, half. Yeah, only yeah. one half of it. Like, the race thing is not something they would have done. No. Um, but you give it out of five. Two and a half. I give it two. 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 Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Um, alrighty. Florida Project. So, yeah, the Florida Project As was... we whittle down it. How are we doing the pace? Uh, we don't have, I think we're doing good, We don't yeah. have a producer. About halfway evening, through. So who knows? Boom. Um... It's the second... Well, it's kind of Sean Baker directed Tangerine, maybe. Did you see Tangerine? No, I didn't. Ah, okay, I did. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Shot so on it's... a phone, showed kind of trans women in, I think, California. Um, some of their kind of prostitutes making money. Um, very funny, kind of touching, but also kind of a, like, yeah, gritty, mm. gritty, gritty film. But so, its main thing was it was shot on a phone. Yeah. So this is the follow-up kind of to that. It's not really connected, but it's his next film since called The Florida Project. And it is, Bobby is Willem Dafoe, and he's kind of like the super of this hotel, or motel more so, um, where loads of just really poor kind of white trash families are residing. A family end up there on their honeymoon. Yes. Who are on the way to Disney World, and he's, and they thought that they booked the whatever castle, mm. and then it turned out that they're at this, and they're horrified, and it's yeah. hilarious, because it's actually... So they are quite close to Disneyland, Florida, and... Um, Disney World. Oh, sorry, Disney World. Yeah, how dare you? Unacceptable error. Yeah. I had to Google that because I was like, I've never been to either of them, but yeah. one of them is, uh, where's the other one? Disney World is in Orlando, which I think is Oh, okay. Where's Disneyland? Somewhere else in Florida, maybe. Oh, right. Okay. So anyway, they're near to a Disney place and if you kind of have that comparison between absolute super wealth and then these poor kind of white trash. There's a weird thing whereby seemingly uh, they all know they're kind of living there, but you have to do this thing where you leave Okay, so after you don't get squatters' rights, so you don't you get squatters' rights, and you have to move to a new apartment, and then you go back up to your other one. Um, it stars the kind of the child is Mooney, who's played by Brooklyn Prince, who is kind of fantastic, and then her mother Haley, who's played by Bria Vianti. Um, and it's kind of how the mother is coming to terms with being able to pay her way and look after the child, and you know, it's a really tough watch because the mother is, a, she isn't physically abusive to the child but she's incredibly emotionally abusive to the child and isn't a good mother and it's really hard to kind of because it and it's illustrated in a really nice way because there's a scene where the kid and um, Mooney is always playing in the bath and he keeps going back to it and you're like oh, yeah. did you cop on what they were no doing? didn't yeah, and amazing. it was starting to annoy me where I was just like why do you keep going back to this and then it's revealed why and you're just like oh Jesus yeah the bedroom is being used for a brothel. Less, yeah, yeah, less positive things. So the only place for the kid to <laughs> go while this is happening is in the bathtub. 
And then the kind of... Um, it, and she uses her, yeah, for manipulation. They go to hotels and like hang out at the door trying to sell like cheap perfumes and claim all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it's tough. So it is a tough watch. Now, I kind of find it hard to get into because to me, the kids were really annoying. Uh, and I was just like, they weren't kind of like, and I get it. They were kids and nothing was their fault. But I was just like, they still kind of grated on me. And then the kind of the mother was so annoying. I Like the only character I liked was Willem Dafoe. Because he just seemed like a really nice guy trying to keep it all together. And I absolutely, I won't spoil the ending. It's not really a spoiler even to talk about it. But I absolutely hated the ending. It just, it was so stupid and out of tone with the rest of the film. You sent yeah. on a what thing can, where you're kind of... Yeah, kinda... what you can give away with with the ending is... um So they, the, the, the camera changes from being shot on regular kind of cameras it picks up pace and they kind of break into the thing that's in the distance disney mm. disneyland um and it's super sped up and, and it's, it's shot fancy and, and yeah and that is turned out because they filmed it on phones as a as a kamikaze kind of thing to do but it completely takes you out because the film's beautiful like it does make it does make the resorts look weirdly alluring um and then you kind of do this. So yeah, I kind of had a problem with the ending as well, like to the point of being like, "What?" Yeah, but I didn't. It didn't ruin it for me. Like I thought this was a brilliant um, film for definite, and I did. I kind of liked the kids, and I I liked being in their world. But maybe I don't know. Maybe it didn't click for you. I saw it in the Stella Cinema as well, so I was oh kind of nice le- leaning back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back. I'm over here. Yeah, I'm over here with a big burger in my hand. Mm. Um, so uh, William Dafoe would probably get a best supporting actor nod. He's in the conversation, yeah, and or main actor maybe. No, I think support. Is okay, what kind of doing so. Yeah. <coughs> what do you give it out of five? Two. Two. Yeah. Shock, shock, horror. What are you a um, four? Uh, yeah, probably a four. Yeah. No, yeah, fair enough. Just did not click. Yeah, and getting a lot of like it's in it's in sight and sound best of the year. It's in lots of different critics are kind of citing it, and I can see why um but i wish they'd done a different ending it would have it would have gotten a higher mark for me if if it had just gotten a bit more a bit more i don't know i just hate it <laughs> that thing <laughs> anyway um one that is in the cinema now if anyone has anyone under the age of 10 in their life they need to see paddington you haven't seen it yet have you no i have yeah we have mm. okay excellent mm. we're really aligned this month it's yeah, fantastic yeah. so this is one um it's been in the cinema a couple of weeks but it is it's number two in the box office at the minute and i'd say it's going to continue hanging there like you know it needs to just push Justice League out of there we haven't seen Justice League correct oh, no. no no intention of I seeing it either I think it's one of the first big no but it's one of the first big ones where I'm like I'm oh, actually not even bothered like the proper superhero yeah. DC Marvel kind of thing where you feel this weird obligation to see them all and I think a lot of people are like nah not bothered seeing Justice League so um, for me it came out of absolutely nowhere I saw the trailer and I was just like what yeah really and you also, know? well it's only five months after after Wonder Woman, isn't it? Like that was June. Yeah, or yeah. So, or four months. So, uh, anyway, we're not going to see that. So, go and see Paddington instead. Uh, Paddington is follow up to the 2015 animated hit, which uh, had Ben Wishaw voicing Paddington. Um, this time around, he uh, Paddington is trying to buy a really old book to send back to his aunt Lucy in Peru. Um, Pop-up but book. he ends up, yeah, from Jim Broadbent, who's this kind of antique dealer. And he ends up, the book is, is stolen and he, Paddington ends up being kind of fingered for it. And so, <laughs> so goes to jail, 
Which is very tough. Like, what a It year. is. It's harsh. Like <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Because, yeah. again, I didn't see a trailer. Like, he's in prison. He's wearing mm. his little suit. So, he anyway, he luckily, he doesn't get, you know, abused or attacked. And he wins over lots of the lots of the gangs in there. And Brendan Gleeson plays the chef. And he teaches him how to make marmalade sandwiches. And, uh, yeah, it's great. And Hugh Grant is... Um, phenomenal. Phenomenal. He's the kind of, let's say, shady character. Yeah. Um, He's fantastic in it. It's very um, Wes Anderson, I think, in a lot of its makeup and look. Kind of a lot of the set pieces are very influenced by that. It's very mm. structured. Uh, it looks lovely. It's a very, you know, idealized version of prison. But like, look, it's a kids film about a bear that eats. It's better that we got this version yeah. of prison. But it kind of even asks question of, in a weird way, it's still posing the question of like, what do you want? What do we want from our prisons? Like, do we want them to be like throw away the key or like it? Or it reforming, people, yeah, it yeah. humanizes the prisoners. It's not like you They're know, not just, yeah, yeah, which is kind of interesting. I thought from that end, uh, there's a great joke with Knuckles um, that I didn't see coming. <laughs> Which I Not thought is Brendan Leeson. Yeah, there's a good uh, pun joke that kind of comes with that, but I absolutely love this film. Yeah, yeah, and um, so definitely see that, and if you any inclination to see Justice League, go and see this. Mm. Uh, also, I think it's still in the cinema right now. Good time. This yeah, it a- could be could be in the lighthouse maybe on a Sunday, you know, at two o'clock yeah. or twelve. Um, it stars Robert Patterson who plays Connie and uh, Benny. Softy, who plays Nick and co director, yeah, co director and co writer with Josh Softy. I presume his brother, it's yeah. not his dad. Um, so I kind of was describing this to a friend, and uh, I was like, it's like Adam and Paul, it's like an American version of Adam and Paul without the humor. And that's not a, like a negative thing, it's just kind of like this mad. I'm a bit of a soft spot for a day in the life kind of films. Yeah. So to give you a bit of background, Robert Pattinson breaks out to a degree. Uh, his brother is going through some psychological evaluation and he comes in and he's like, you don't need this. Come on, come with me. Yeah, we don't really know where they've where they've come from. Or, like, mm. It's pretty, we just drop in yeah. to his psych evaluation. Yeah. And the two of them then go and impromptu rob a bank. Um, which then blows up in their face because it's got a, what do you call it? It's got a dye pack in it so explodes everywhere and then they're like shit have to do this so then and at, the, and, and at this point yeah the credits to the film yes 20 minutes in yeah like, and what it's an absolute assault on the senses at the start kind of because the, the music Did you see this in cinema yes. yeah the pump in music is just the music is by Daniel Lopatin who it's goes like as f- Wanthrick's point never I don't it know it felt like seeing like the music that bangs in in Fight Club or something mm. or like a Skrillex kind of like yes totally yeah yeah um so it kind of then follows Robert trying to get so the two of them kind of get chased by the cops and Robert gets away but um Nick is captured and then it's him trying to get the money together so that he doesn't have to go to Rikers for the night and it follows this day of and all the kind of nonsense that Robert gets involved and he meets up with uh he busts someone out of hospital there's like drug chases cops and all kind of believable like it's not the it most is, incredible no. because at the fringes of society like there's people who maybe it's kind of believable that mm. they could be lured in like this and um yeah and there's a, a one bit that was a bit funny with like is she 16 16 year old young girl and you're like yeah he's kind of using her yeah yeah, yeah but it doesn't go too but i kind of went long uh for the ride with this and it was very enjoyable yeah. and quite sad as well at times because you have this thing where it's like 
brothers kind of looking out for each other even though it's to the detriment of others and then has quite a happy resolution to a degree uh yeah with one of the brothers where you're like that's probably actually how that should have ended up you know mm. um so it's very enjoyable yeah mm. i thought it was brilliant and kind of come out of nowhere like i had never seen anything that the two um safi brothers pronounce that right yeah um, I think they've exactly. done kind of yeah. similar kind of works that are even more kind of abstract obscure or so abstract. Very interesting to see what they do. Yeah. Next. Um, so the last film that we're going to cram in, having done um, cinematastic mm-hmm. stuff, is another one I think that you've seen. Yeah. Um, this is in the cinema now, Aubrey Plaza, starring in it, and it's called Ingrid Goes West. Uh, so, do you think she has any guards named after her in America, like Barack Obama Plaza? Um, I don't know. I was kind of we thinking about that because April from Parks and Recreation is a much loved character. But I was like, I've kind a lot of the stuff that Aubrey Plaza has done. Like she's very annoying on screen, but this sort of in, this embraces that, and she's an annoying character. So um, this ended up being yeah quite a surprise uh, because it's a sort of deals with a lot of social media obsessions and like people who's who are glued to their phone all the time and how. They're obsessed with celebrity and stuff. And I thought that was quite... It's a very on-point film. Yeah. And so, um, the film Aubrey Plaza is... uh, This is what the official uh, description is. An unhinged social media stalker. And uh, so she moves to LA, I think, from... Is she in San Francisco? No, that's the disaster artist. They move from San Francisco. No, she does. She moves to LA from somewhere else in California, isn't it? Or is it Texas, maybe? Oh, yeah, maybe she moves across. Anyway, she inherits loads of money. She has a pretty sad life. Like, the film opens when she goes to a wedding and ruins, like, her classmates' wedding um, by screaming at but her. But then it turns out they didn't really know each other. She's pissed off that she didn't get invited to the wedding. It's just like, we didn't really know each other. Yeah. So then well, she exactly, gets but this... she, that's the worrying thing, that she yeah. had, had these digital obsessions of people. So, um, anyway, she moves, she gets this payout after her, her mother dies. She moves to LA and then she finds an Instagram influencer, I suppose would be the word, um, played by Elizabeth Olsen. And she is her new, I suppose, crush would be the... Yeah, she managed to orchestrate her way into her life. Yeah, and they become best friends, but she, she has to build a lot of lies and weirdness around it. And it all obviously gets a bit too much and eventually all sort of collapses. Um, along the way, her her landlord and her kind of friend is played by O'Shea Jackson Jr., I think, isn't that it? From Straight Outta Compton. Yeah, Ice um, Cube's kid. Yeah. And then uh, Wyatt Russell, Kurt Russell's son, plays Elizabeth Brilliant Olsen's as always. partner's... Uh, or Elizabeth Olsen's uh, boyfriend. Husband. husband. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I just thought it was great. Uh, there's this brilliant thing from The New Yorker from around March and April, which is my favourite... My favorite long read of the year, like you, know, you remember, like a long read, like an article, yeah. but it's really long. So um, it's a thing called Van Life. If you just Google New Yorker Van Life, and it is this article about people who are like Instagram influencers who just kind of live in vans, and like the whole thing is actually a commercial construct where they're kind of taking photographs of a certain like hippie product, and they're getting paid, you know, a grand, and they do one of these a week, and this is what they live off. So I, I'm kind of fascinated by that, like this thing of showing, I don't know, sort of like na- obsession with nature and all this, and then people obsessing over that by, mm. like, being wanting to kind of do more. So, yeah. Big, yeah, big I think the film's very good in that it does that thing where it sets up Aubrey Plaza as kind of the necessary, or you were like, oh, she's the obvious bad person and unhinged slightly, and 
it's kind of sad but then it does that slow reveal of like well actually probably Kate Olsen's character is Elizabeth Olsen Elizabeth Olsen's character is as kind of messed up in some degrees like she's as fake and constructed and you know the nicest character yeah the nicest character is the landlord or uh, Elizabeth Olsen a lot of of good jokes about Batman yeah so it's very kind of came out of nowhere as well to a degree Um, no yeah I don't know how well it's in cinema but this is the kind of one that'll make a big splash on Netflix in a couple of months and everyone will be like you should see this movie uh, and we'll be like we told you already did yeah Um, I'm going to do a quick pick then for uh, next couple of weeks Um, small little independent film Uh, it's called Star Wars who's not uh, lots of people who you probably have never heard of. Anyway, uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi. It's out on Wednesday, 13th of December at midnight or one minute past midnight on the 14th. Um, yeah, just I guess we've been kind of hearing about this for like a year, year and a half. Um, Rian Johnson, the director, and uh, General Leia Organa. What the hell are they going to do with Carrie Fisher's character? What's yeah, the story? I like, hope they do. We'll do more on Star Wars in a couple of weeks, obviously, but I don't really know. Like, it's... It, uh, it's it's one to kind of yeah it's one to talk more about we'll we'll talk more about it in a week or two but I am incredibly excited about it yeah and hopefully I'll get to see it not the main thing true you could always bring the kid to the first one yeah maybe here's your first film yeah you're you're a week old yeah uh, I'm looking forward to kind of probably potentially going to be a ridiculous film uh, Jumanji <laughs> it opens uh, on Friday the eighth of December. And the gimmick is that it's not a... Well, from the moment, it's not a sequel or prequel or it's just that the kids are playing a video game. They get sucked into the video game Jumanji, but the opposite happens where they become super old. Like, they're kids playing it and then they become old. So when they're young, I don't really recognize any of the characters, but when they become older, it's Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Kevin Hart, uh, Jack Black. So they're kind of the main, and it just looks like good fun. I'm a big fr- fan of Dwayne Johnson at the moment on Instagram. He's quite ins- inspirational. Yeah. Uh, so that opens on Friday the 8th of December. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and we're going to wrap up with our Zenith clip, which is from the original Jumanji. How many years old is it? 15. No, try again. 20. 22 years old. 22. Yeah, so this is from the same year as Mrs. Doubtfire, I think. I don't um, think I saw this in cinema. I think I saw it on, like, rented it. A video. It feels like it may never have been in the cinema. It's just been a VHS that every home had. Yeah. Um, it kind of is a classic now. Yeah, well, I was looking at the clips and I was like, I actually kind of want to watch this. So, um, this clip is kind of sets up the game. It's from early on in the film. Worth kind of looking... You forget Kirsten Dunst is in this, as one of the kids. Um, Robin Williams, obviously, there. But then R. I was kind of wondering who the woman was. And her name is Bonnie Hunt, and she's just done loads of voice work. She's been in A Bug's Life, she's been in A Monster's Inc. The Mother, Cars, like grown up. Two, three. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you'd and always kind of mistake her for um, Twister Lady. Laura Linney, no? Yeah, kind of, yeah. I kind of oh, always yeah. think she kind of would pass for them. Um, yeah, I actually don't think you mean Laura Linney, do you? Or maybe you do. But yeah, she's of that nineties mom kind of era, which uh, I think is 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 telling. But anyway, Jumanji is out. The new one is what on the twenty second or something. It so, it yeah yeah. So Helen Hunt, Helen Laura Hunt. Linney, yeah, Bonnie, whatever this one's name is. So uh, yeah, so we will be back in a, about a week with our worst films. Um, a quick little uh, small little pod and post on that. Uh, we haven't written as much as of late, but we love to talk and we're going to continue. 
talk, 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 talk. And then yep. we will have our best of a couple of days after that. So, yeah. Plenty um, more listening for the year. Yeah. All righty. No, I, I don't go by that name anymore. Sarah Whittle? What do you want? 26 years ago, you played a game with a little boy down the street. A game with drums. How do you know that? I was that little boy, Sarah. Sarah Whittle calling. Listen, if you could call me back as soon as you can. I think I need to have my dosage checked. That event we've been discussing for a long time now, the one that didn't really happen. Oh, boy. I'm having an episode here today with a little boy that didn't really disappear. I'm sitting in his living room drinking lemonade. If you could call me, I'd really, really be interested in your interpretation. Thank you so much. Call me back ten minutes before the hour. While we're waiting. Whoa! God! Therapy, convincing myself that this doesn't exist. See what happened to you was so awful. I made up that. Sarah, 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 it was awful. It was awful. It was awful. It really was. It's real. Real. No, no, no. It wasn't real, Alan. Your father murdered you and he chopped you up into little pieces. Sarah, come on. My dad did that. My father could barely hug me, let alone cut me into little pieces. 26 years ago, we started playing a little game. And now, we're all gonna sit down and we're gonna finish it. And guess what? It's your turn. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one.